The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. How can you do something today that helps you exhale? Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. Morgan Harper Nichols is not a story of overnight success, and she didn't always know she wanted to be an insta-famous artist. She's reinvented herself multiple times and went from working in college admissions to building a community of close to 2 million supporters on Instagram since her first poem went viral. When I found out about her, I was immediately drawn to her work. I always felt so seen by her art, and I later realized why. She uses the stories of her supporters and her community to create her art. Her work is a huge collaboration with the world around her. Morgan is so inspiring that I even started doodling and writing some poetry again myself when I saw her work. You're going to be lit up by her honesty and by her story. Her new book is called Peace is a Practice, and I also highly recommend her app called Storyteller with gorgeous daily art and words to make you feel both understood and ready to face the day. I know you'll find your own story somewhere in all of it because it was made for you and it was kind of made by you. Here's Morgan. I'm not a traditionally trained artist. So for a long time, even I would not really go all in because I'm like, well, I'm not as good as, you know, other people. It's just so valuable to just have some kind of creative practice and outlet. So I'm like, if that's what people pick up from what I do, I just get so encouraged. I'm like, yes, yes, just go wild, make art, whether it's for play or whatever. So I just love that. Literally start with scribbling with children's uh, crayons, like the cheapest supplies you can find. I always recommend that very specific thing because I was like, when we become grownups, we get a little sophisticated and we're like, okay, I'm going (laughs) to go buy the nice art supplies, you know, the ones with the great reviews. But sometimes the fancy stuff, you start overthinking it because you're like, I don't want to mess up my supplies. I'm supposed to be fancy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm talking number two pencils, (laughs) like whatever you wish you could do in like a free period in like third grade. Like that's where Mm -hmm. I want you to start. Um, so, yeah, I, I have just found that alone to just be so calming and, and peaceful in my life. I saw your recent post that said, no matter who does or does not notice you, you will still bloom how you were meant to. Mm-hmm. And that just feels perfectly aligned with, like, why we should dare to go on the path of being creative. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah, that is my story because I'm someone who is very sensitive. And ever since I was a kid, I I remember one time specifically, I went to like a summer camp and it was just some random thing with some other teenagers and we we're hanging outside. And for whatever reason, I brought my poetry journal to the summer camp. That's just the kind of person. So it was like kickball, capture the flag. And here I am with my poetry journal. I'm like, you never know. Like, you know, during lunch, I might need to write a poem. And 
this kid, he talked me into letting him read my poems like at lunch and he opened it and he just started like ripping them to shreds. Like he was like, oh, this is so cheesy. Like, why are you writing about this? And, you know, experiences like that, even if you're somebody who is drawn to creating, like they stay with you like that gets inside of you and you start wondering, well, if these people don't like it, then, you know, what, what business do I have being curious about it or being interested in it? So for for many years, I had different moments like that. And and that it got to me like that hurt my feelings and it made me question myself and what I created. And it took a long time to get the courage to share what I was making while it was still in process, while I didn't know how other people would receive it. But the moment that I did start to share, even just a few people here and there, hearing from other people say they felt reflected in what I was saying, that from that moment, it was like, okay, now I know I'm not alone. There's at least one person out in the world who is interested in this poem that I wrote and sees themselves in it. That's what makes it worth it to dare to create. It's that connection element. And I think sometimes it gets cut off. If you get that bad connection right away, you're like, whoa, my Just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, never mind. Close the journal. Never open it again. But it's like, oh, just dare to try again. Like there are people out there who will see themselves in what you're doing. And it is so worth that connection. There's a video that I saw recently um, from a LinkedIn learning instructor, and he was talking about the process of creation. And one of the things he says is you don't want followers, you want supporters. Mm, You want people who are going to see themselves in your work Mm -hmm. and people who are going to engage with you. And and I had never thought of just switching out those words, but there's this richness that gets drowned out by, you know, this thing that like, if you're going to share, you must immediately also want a million people to follow you. Yeah. Yeah. That is so real. I think I was 20 years old, I think when like Instagram came out. So, I mean, I was right there in it, you know, I was right there in it with everybody else. I would say, It took about eight years of being active online and sharing some kind of creativity online before I finally embraced what you just talked about. Like, it is not about the followers. It is not about the numbers. It is not about the analytics. Like, yes, it is a part of it, but it is such a small part of it, especially when you're starting out. And it was when I was in my late 20s that I honestly felt like, okay, I've tried all the things to make my work seem like it's important or worthy of being known and seen out in the world. And it was like, you know what? I'm just going to focus on connecting with one person at a time. That's Mm -hmm. it. I don't care if I lose followers. And I did. When I first started sharing my art, I did lose followers because it was new. I wasn't very good at it. Like, it was just <laughs> random. And, and I don't believe prior- that at all, but okay. Oh, oh, you can scroll back. You'll see. It took me a minute. But the thing that was so fascinating is like, that's when I started to grow. <laughs> like, that's when this like rapid growth happened. When I literally was like, I give up. I give up trying to figure out all the algorithms, all the things. Like, I'm just going to put all that aside and just focus on connecting people. And mm-hmm. that's when it grew. 
you reminded me of when you were sharing this story of bringing your journal to this camp where you could be doing a million other things, but you brought your poetry Mm -hmm. journal. And then someone saw your work and said, it's not enough, basically. Mm -hmm. And then you have that experience of like, just not just it's not enough, but I'm not enough, maybe. Right. And Mm -hmm. so how can I share this? Um, The way Dr. Brene Brown talks about this is creativity scars. And it was Mm -hmm. one of the first, you know, when I read about that, it was one of the first moments I realized how much someone's judgment at a young age can impact your ability to create or your choice Mm. to create. And so I just, I heard that from you and I think it's so valuable because I think it shows up in more ways than, you know, you being a poet and deciding Mm. not to share. I think it also shows up for people who, you know, as quote unquote adults say, well, I'm not creative Mm -hmm. or like creativity is childish, right? It's in some ways, I think it's a way to protect ourselves from being judged by people. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! Absolutely, and I and I totally agree about the the creativity scars because you know in many ways creativity is defined as you know original ideas, but even even original ideas that come from other ideas and combining and making new combinations. And when you think about that, we do that all day. You know, if you're at dinner with with your friends and and everyone's kind of laughing and telling jokes, like you have your own way of kind of being in that conversation and telling stories and and making people laugh or, or or pointing out different observations like it takes creativity to do all of that mm-hmm. but I think that as we grow up we kind of get this message overall of just like get in line follow the rules and you'll be okay in life and here's the thing there's a whole lot of places in life where I think that's that's a good idea you know if you're flying a plane yeah that might not be the best place to be the most creative you know <laughs> like there's, there's probably like some certain knobs and buttons and like she got a click in a certain order right. and yeah maybe you shouldn't change it up <laughs> um, <laughs> but there are so many other places in life where we apply that same kind of like very formulaic thinking where it just doesn't have to be applied. I've even been kind of pushing myself to the limits even more as to what's acceptable or or why I put kind of restraints on myself. So like one example of that is I have a toddler. I have, have a two-year-old who is always challenging the status quo. <laughs> and there will be times where I'll see him. We have like a canister of, of uncooked rice that you can put in the pantry. So he'll take something like that, just open it, just dump it on the floor. And, you know, my reaction is, oh, no, like what? It, and it's like, OK, yes, that is the the way we're supposed to keep rices in the container, not on the floor. But I'm like, what is that about him at such this young age where he's open to try it? So what I actually did is I found online a, a pouring station where you can take like uncooked rice and you can put it in these little compartments and kids can kind of pour the things mm-hmm. back and forth. And it's like a sensory activity. And I was like, how many things are like this in our day-to-day life where we're like, okay, rice goes in the jar. You can't play with that. Or, you know, you sit here for for eight hours a day this way. You can't change that That's up. your fork. That's yeah, your knife. Yeah, exactly. And I've just even been trying to challenge myself to say, hmm, you know, why do we do things this way? And and sometimes, you know, like flying a plane, there's good reasons. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, like, there is so much room for creativity and exploration. And I I just want everybody to get a little taste of that in their in their daily life. 
you know, there there are a couple people that I go to and I'm having a hard time. And you are definitely one of them when I look at what you've shared, because it's true. And I know mm. you said that in part of your book is like some of sharing your own struggles has taken your breath away, not because you're scared of someone's judgment, but because it was honest. Um, mm-hmm. What you shared about your son with the rice just made me immediately think like, gosh, we just can't deal with messiness, can we? <sighs> Oh my goodness. And not, that it's is, a metaphor for life. Like. Oh, it is a whole thing. I So I actually just finished this book. It's 4,000 Weeks by Robert Bozeman. But in the book, um, he points to how there was a point in history, not that long ago, like maybe back in the 50s, where all these kitchen appliances started showing up and, you know, you got your toasters, your microwaves, and it just keeps adding the list of all these ways to keep a home. But with that came increased pressure of what cleanliness is supposed to look like. Mm. So it was this whole thing about like, there's so many things that we have to make the life so efficient, but it also ends up increasing, you know, judgment around messiness or things not being clean or perfect or in line. I just moved my office and there's nothing in here. And this room is so white. Like the carpet's like light, 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 light gray. The walls are light, 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 light gray. The windows are white. Everything's so like clean and pristine looking that I even feel a bit odd, like putting a little bit of myself and color into the room. It's like, oh, I hope I hope this isn't too much. And I'm like, wow, how often am I doing that? Even subconsciously in day-to-day life, I'm scared to color outside the lines. I'm telling myself not to to push this boundary. I think that there's there's just so much room to really ask a lot of questions about that. We're going on a quick break. While we do, take a minute to think about what you would do without the creativity scars that you're carrying and where in your world you can give yourself or someone else permission to get messy and spill some rice on the floor. When we get back, you'll hear how Morgan creates even though she's still a work in progress and how to celebrate both the shadow and the light in life. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career. I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort 
and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with artist and poet Morgan Harper Nichols. Morgan, one of the things you shared that I loved is that you were making art while you are in process. Not only did you choose to make public your process, you've also left it up so that people can go see how you've grown and who you've become. And I think that that can be such a barrier for people who have a dream is that we show up at people's highlight reel, right? Whatever mm-hmm. that is and go, I could never be that. Instead mm-hmm. of having the the steps or the path lit to be able to understand your process. I'd love for you to share like, how did all this come about? Tell me the story of this work. Yeah, I, my first job out of college was a college admission counselor at my alma mater, and I love that job. I've always just been one who loves to just share information. So that's just like a love language of mine. So getting to share that with prospective students, like that was honestly my favorite part of the job. However, the school was expanding and my job was actually moving to a different part of the state. I couldn't move with it. So that sent me down a about a a five, six year journey of just like freelancing, trying everything. I mean, wedding photography, full time singer songwriter, uh, logo designer. I, I've done a lot of things <laughs> and a lot of it, you know, I would love to say it was just fueled by creativity and curiosity, but a lot of it was, it was financial motivation. Um, I, like many people in my generation, graduated with a lot of uncertainty about the workforce and not knowing what was next and not knowing, you know, how to kind of build a career. And at that time, it was very challenging. And even though I was an artist, my, my first job was in a cubicle and I love my cubicle. I mean, I, I was fine with it. I, I love my job. I really did, but it it didn't last forever. So it sent me down this long, uncertain, what felt like liminal space for a very, very long time. And I lived in a lot of different cities. My husband and I, we, we both just worked all kinds of jobs doing lots of different freelance. And it was mostly creative things. And then in 2016, we had moved to Dallas, Texas, honestly, just because we found an affordable apartment. And in that time, that's when I feel like I really started to hit rock bottom. And that was because I felt the epitome of exhausted and broke. Mm-hmm. And those two things together is a really, really rough combination. And I honestly feel like as a society, we don't talk enough about how much financial insecurity causes some real emotional, mental, physical struggle in, in people's lives, especially if you're you know, a young person, if you're a person of color. Like there's so many different reasons. And I, I'm also a person with a disability as well. I'm, I'm autistic. I didn't know that at the time, but I had all these different things that were just compounding and I just felt so stuck and so uncertain. And 
it was in that time for whatever reason, I opened a journal of mine and I wrote a poem about it. And for some reason, I decided to write my name at the end of that poem. And that was significant. Putting your name on it is a different level of owning it. You know, it's like you write it, you're vulnerable, you put it out there, but then you put your name on it. You're like, this is my name. That takes courage. For some reason, I took a picture of it and then I uploaded it onto Pinterest. And at the time I was not very active on Pinterest really, but I just put it up there. And it was a few months after that that I ended up finding out it had been repinned over 100,000 times. And the poem says, when you start to feel like things should have been better this year, remember the mountains and valleys that brought you here. And the poem ends saying, you are wrapped in endless, boundless grace. There is more to you than yesterday. And upon sharing that poem, and then it essentially kind of going viral it on went Pinterest viral. Without, without, yeah. me knowing, <laughs> um, without me knowing it until it started to show up on other social media platforms. And it was from that moment that I ended up having other people send me Instagram DMs and emails and messages saying how much they connected with that. And they were like, I also feel so tired and uncertain and just feeling like I'm in this indefinite liminal space where I don't know what's next. And I I dealt with X, Y, and Z, and, and this is why I feel this way. And that that right there was so healing and transformative for me because it revealed to me that while I was still in that uncertain space, other people were connecting with that as well because they were also in that space. And it became clear to me. It's like, wow, I, while I don't know what tomorrow holds, like I do know it matters that I'm not alone. And mm -hmm. I do know it matters to encourage other people in knowing that they're not alone and that we can work through this together day by day, breath by breath. And that just became the theme of my work. And it still is. And since then, I can honestly say it's been the people, um, a lot of them I've met online, just who've engaged with what I'm doing and sharing that have really motivated me to keep kind of evolving the artwork and, and trying new things. So, yeah. You must get so much meaning out of this. I mean, I think part of what has happened to us as a society is we've we've told ourselves that if we just spit shine everything, Mm -hmm. It's going to be OK Yeah. that if you just tell your son to get the rice back in the yeah. jar, we can pretend it never happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so like, you know, it, it just took me right back to the rice of thinking like what you're doing is you're like, I'm letting the rice sit there. I'm mm. pointing at it. Yeah. And I'm yeah. telling you that wow. it's OK. It's there. <laughs> I love that so much. Right. I'm, going to, I'm going to remember that next time he pours the rice all over the floor. <laughs> tell him it's OK. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious, you know, I, I wonder what are some of the stories uh, or things themes from stories that you can share from your community? Yes. For context, I'm 32 years old. I'm 32. And it's been a trend that I hear from a lot of people who are about 10 years younger than me, mm. which I find so fascinating because I think in a lot of ways, I am still speaking to 22-year-old Morgan. Like, I'm still telling 22-year-old Morgan, it's going to be okay. I know you feel so much pressure right now to figure everything out, but it's okay. You don't have to get it all right right now. I would say that to 22-year-old Morgan 
like literally a hundred times a day because she was anxious. She was stressed. She was autistic and didn't know it. She had a lot going on. So that ends up being a huge thing, just demographically. A lot of people who are younger than me, I mean, just especially over the past couple of years, a lot of people just dealing with the state of the world and the constant change because it's it's not just what's happening globally and and you know what country you're in and nationally but it's also what's happening within your own family system or your community and the longer that we kind of sit in this space of you know needing to watch the news more and all of that you're just constantly taking in so much information So I do this thing on social media where I'll I'll ask people to submit one word that just kind of sums up how they feel. And then I will respond to that with art. Hands down, the word I get the most. I'm talking about past two years, overwhelmed, overwhelmed. That is the word I get every single time I do that prompt. (laughs) Doesn't matter what platform, what time of day, the past two years, overwhelmed. I mean, you've basically done a free study for what a bunch of researchers have been paid no. to do. <laughs> I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, why do we have to call it burnout? Like, it's just like general yeah. overwhelm and, it, yeah. and it's not fun and there yeah. aren't necessarily quick fixes to it. What are what are you learning? You have a section in your book about shadow and light. And so this sort mm-hmm. of takes me to this place of, you know, nobody wants to sit in the dark for a long time and experience Mm -hmm. pain or suffering. Like nobody desires that. And yet it can be incredibly valuable. And I'm curious what you're learning about the relationship between shadow and light and how we can Mm -hmm. get better about sitting in both. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and I'm a part of this as well. I, I grew up in a family who, to this day, present day, I would say one of the greatest battles that we deal with as a family have been health-related issues, especially when it comes to my mother and my one sibling, my, my sister. And I have watched these two women in my life, these two Black women in my life, who oftentimes have to walk into a doctor's office again and again and again. And not get answers or oftentimes not be taken seriously. And at the same time, amidst all of that, they are still able to be advocates for others who are also dealing with that and how their stories, they have chosen to speak up and speak about what they're going through to help other people while they still don't have answers themselves. And to me, that is what it looks like to live with both shadow and light is that while you are facing the shadow in your own life and the lack of answers or certainty or support or whatever it is that you need that you're not getting at the same time, when, however it is natural for you, when you have the energy to do that, you can also be an advocate for others. You can also help others or at least be present to other people in that same space and people can be present to you. So those two things are always happening at once. And and it's like you want to make the shadow go away, but you can't, you know, especially not just snapping your finger and just goes away. But at the same time, that doesn't have to stop us from coming into the light and letting ourselves be seen and also seeing each other's. I I can 
so relate. Uh, and I love this shadow and light too, but I didn't always. I used mm. to spin things to make them good. Uh, mm. And I know you you wrote something about yeah. being an Enneagram five. I'm an yes. Enneagram seven. Oh, my brother awesome. and my mom are both five. So like, oh my I see you. Yes. I'm like, well, my sister is a seven. So yeah, oh. we're just, yeah, we're we're circling in like the same thing. I love it. The sevens <sighs> try to spin everything. We reframe oh, yeah. everything. <laughs> like this is so amazing that this terrible thing happened because, mm. right? <laughs> and that's our superpower. And it's also what keeps us from being okay exploring the shadow. Mm-hmm. You know, you just gave me this moment of like oh the light isn't everything's going to be okay or, or like it's it's perfect it's fine or it's all happening for a reason you should be excited it's just like no you do deserve to take the next step in process it's not like it, i look at it as so binary where it's more of a spectrum mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and and i i feel like you see that when it comes to when you look at paintings so if you look at not all paintings, but a lot of paintings, especially traditionally painted ones, you're going to see shadow and light together. And like you just said, it's a spectrum. It's not a lot of hard black and hard white. It's it's actually, it's like, oh, that shadow is actually a really dark, dark crimson. It's like when you first look at it, it might look like pitch black, but it's actually a dark crimson or dark, you know, burnt orange or something. And that, you know, that white, it's actually yellow. And it's, it's mm-hmm. a spectrum of color. And I just love that you pointed that out because I, I feel like you can you can see that a lot in artwork and how that that really represents the human experience. It does. And I, I wish we could embrace that more because I, I think there is a lot of fear, especially maybe in American culture, of having a difficult time, of having mm. something be hard, challenging, yes. painful. All those words were just like, ee, we can't yeah. deal with it. And mm-hmm. yet it's part of life. And so then this kind of shame cycle gets created about like, it's not okay for me to be sad. Yes. Towards the end of your your new book, Pieces of Practice, you talked about hope, which of course excites me because I'm a seven <laughs> and I want to go yes. to the light. But I also think <laughs> it's such a beautiful way to um, to understand human nature. Like it mm. reminds me of this, there's, a, there's an interesting... Um, effect called the heliotropic effect. And what it says is that you put a plant in the window and plants will automatically lean towards the light. Mm. No matter where you put them, plants will lean towards the light. And so even my plant, my bird of paradise, my apartment leans towards the window. It's not in the Mm. window, but it's moving towards it. And I think of that as like a metaphor about humans and how we live. And the way you talked about hope, I thought was beautiful. You said hope is active imagination. Hope is the way you look forward to the future. Hope is grounds for believing that anything is possible and that peace is possible. Talk to me a little Mm. bit about hope. Yeah, so I love what you said about your birds of paradise plant just turning to the light. I feel like I can just visualize that. I love that. <laughs> there's a there's a poem in there somewhere. Um, but I I've always had very I unfortunately I've had very vivid nightmares, but I've also had very vivid dreams. And I've had vivid recurring dreams. And I started to record my dreams and I started to write them down. And what I find so fascinating about that, I'm like, isn't it fascinating that even when I'm in the state of sleeping, that my mind is able to come up with these new ideas and create these stories like this is really fascinating. 
And it's just caused me to think like, I'm like, I don't think it stops there. I think when we're awake as well, we can dream. And one thing that I've been doing first is just recording my my sleeping dreams, but also to just really, really challenging myself on a day-to-day basis. And when I see something that is the exact opposite of, of hope and it's hopeless, I look at that and I spend some time in reflection thinking, what is the dream for this? And the way that I know that I'm actually thinking about it is when I can't, I can't tell you in a sentence, when I can't just say, oh, I know, I know what's going to fix this. I have to spend time thinking and and really meditating and reflecting like, and, and reading and listening to others. What could the dream be? And, and what is my contribution within that dream? So one kind of like a, it started as a lighthearted one, but it's, but it's turning into a bigger <laughs> one. Like I have a dream for, um, so I've started making 3D art and I haven't shared much of it yet. Very early stages, but in making 3D art and starting to make these 3D models, I realized that I can actually create, you know, like a street that someone can walk down and, you know, buildings and stuff like that. And as I start to make it, you know, I, I really care a lot about accessibility. I'm like, oh, this street should be wider. Like, it's not even a real street. It's just a virtual street. And I'm just like, this street could be wider. I'm like, why can't we have like places in nature where someone who maybe has some accessibility differences can walk around? And I started thinking about it. And then now when I'm driving down the street, I will literally look at different intersections. I'm like, how could this be more accessible? Now, I am not a civil engineer. I'm not a city planner. I'm an artist <laughs> with an iPad. <laughs> And at the same time, though, I'm like, I believe that that matters. Like, I believe that my dream for more accessible places in nature, it matters. And I don't have to know exactly all the details of how to make that a reality. But I do know that me even just spending time thinking about it, letting the ideas form over months and even years is a part of what could be my contribution. And, you know, who knows? Maybe someday I'll, I'll be sitting on a plane next to somebody who's a silver engineer. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's just it matters to spend that time thinking about it, especially in a time where a lot of times we feel that pressure to always post and share our ideas on how we think other people should do things. It's like maybe it matters to spend some some months and some years in reflection, actively imagining something better for the future. That's so beautifully put. Your dream matters. And I think when, when you're speaking from a place of experience or connection to an experience, it makes you a valid voice. You're already a valid voice, mm. but like when you've gone through a process or you've seen something or felt something like you showing up is so different than someone who's never gone through that process. And so mm. that's so, so meaningful. All right, Morgan, I'm going to have you answer these three statements. Uh, the first is better humans are. Better humans are present to the moment. Better work is. Work that energizes you. And a better world has. People who are willing to listen to each other. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh so my fun. <laughs> that was artist, poet, and author Morgan Harper Nichols. If you liked our conversation or you also just want to feel seen, support her on Instagram. One big thing before we go, your creativity belongs to you and no one else. 
Nobody else is an accurate judge of how good or bad your work is. We hold back so many of our ideas, our writing, our poetry, our art, music, and designs for fear of what others will say. So if you're trapping creativity that deep down you wish you had the courage to bring forward, try this perspective shift. Stop worrying about people judging you and start wondering how many people you're robbing of your amazing talent. If today's show helped you on your journey, leave us a rating before you go. And even more helpful, write a quick review. It helps other listeners like you find this show and grow with our community. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, writing about human potential. Feel free to send me a message and let me know how this is resonating with you. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks so much for coming on the journey with me, and I'll see you next week.